0: morning, church. Happy Lord's Day. And, uh, Brother Craig, thanks for giving us your testimony how discipleship took place. And that was really exciting to hear how brothers and sisters are getting tighter. That's what happens when you take road trips together, and we, we understand this. And so, a uh, little update before we get into the sermon. Um, Thank you for those who have filled out the el- el- eldership survey. Uh, we got about 100 responses thus far, so thank you. Uh, you can still go on for the next two weeks because we're still looking for more, as many as possible, to help learn more about where the church is at tr- regarding eldership. So you have two more weeks, this week and the following week. And then the, as we start the Titus series, then the survey will be closed. Okay, so... Now, for the next two, Lord's Day, we have a two-week sermon series on the new birth, on regeneration. Today, we're going to focus on what is the new birth. You've heard people say, I'm a born-again Christian. Are you born again? I mean, this is what we're going to talk about today. Next, Lord's Day, we're going to talk about evidences... Of the new birth, I mean, how do you know if you've been born again? How do you know if your loved ones have been born again? How do you know if your good friend, your best friend, has been born again? Okay. The new birth. We'll begin our sermon now. The new birth. There comes a point in time, parents. Right? I'm looking out at parents. I'm a parent as well. Where it's time to have a talk about the facts of life. Amen. I mean, we need to explain to our people the facts about the birds and the bees because we don't want the world to teach our children about the birds and the bees. There's a lot of crazy information out there today, as we know. Where do we come from? As Christians, we have the same Father, amen? Our Heavenly Father. And today, we need to hear from God, our Father, where Christians come from. In other words... Where do Christian babies come from? How does this happen? Today, Jesus discusses the birds and the bees, the new birth with Nicodemus. So if you have your Bibles, I'd encourage you to turn to John chapter 3. If you have your phones, follow along with me at John chapter 3. How we preach, if you're a guest, we're so happy that you're here. We just basically preach down the text. If you have your Bible, in essence, that's the outline that we use. John chapter 3, 1 through 12. This is perhaps one of the most beloved chapters in the entire Bible, containing perhaps the most famous verse in the Bible, John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he sent his one and only begotten Son. Whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Today, Jesus has a private meeting with Nicodemus, and he tells him about the new birth. In other words... Where do do Christians come from? So let's rise as we read John chapter 3 together. I'll read from the Legacy Standard Bible. But John chapter 3 verse 1 says this, Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you have come from God as a teacher, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. That which has been born of the flesh is flesh, and that that which has been born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound. But do not know where it comes from and where it is going. So is everyone who has been born of the Spirit. Verse 9, Nicodemus answered and said to him, how can these things be? Jesus answered and said to him, are you the teacher of Israel and do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness of what we have seen. You do not accept our witness. If I told you earthly things and you do not believe, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for John chapter 3, Lord. I pray that your Spirit will rain down from heaven upon us right now. And I pray, Father, that you build our faith in you. Show us more of your glory, Father, through the preaching of your word out of John chapter 3. I pray for those who are not saved in this room, that your spirit will just pour down and rain down upon them, and they will become born again through the preaching of your word. So, Father God, I pray you give us spiritual, supernatural ears to hear, as we hear John chapter 3 preached today. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Please have a seat. Um, church, I love this. It's this a great opportunity to preach on John 3, the new birth. I've been thinking about this for quite some time, for a couple years, I think, and a series of months. Our church needs to hear more about the new birth. We need to hear about the new birth and... This is what we're focusing on: is what is the new birth all about? All right. This is what we're gonna cover today. What is the new birth all about? And just so you can follow along easier, I'm gonna give you the points ahead of time, kind of like uh, street signs along the way of, of our journey together. The new birth, number one, crushes human religion. Crushes human r- religion. The new birth comes, number two, from God alone. The new birth comes from God alone. Number three, the new birth creates saving faith. The new birth creates saving faith. So what is the new birth all about? The new birth, number one, crushes human religion. Verse one says that Nicodemus came to Jesus at night. Who is this Nicodemus? Well, Nicodemus is described as being a Pharisee and a ruler of the Jews. A Pharisee, what does that mean? Some of us are very familiar, familiar with Pharisees. They were basically the religious elite of the day 2,000 years ago in Israel. They believe in external legalism, meaning what I do merits my salvation. They were legalists. They basically believed that by keeping the rules that they created, not even rules beyond what God has set forth, that that's how they enter into the kingdom of God. And not only was Nicodemus a Pharisee, a religious elite, he was the elite amongst the elite. He was a ruler of the Jews. Meaning he was a member of the Sanhedrin, which is basically the supreme court for Israel. They actually render judgments under Rome, of course. The only th- one of the things that they couldn't do is execute a capital punishment, meaning put someone to death. That's why the Sanhedrin went to Pilate to kill Jesus, didn't have the authority to kill Jesus but other than that they had an extreme amount of power delegated to them the sanhedrin was about 71 members headed up by the high priest and this is these were the most regarded religious leaders of the time therefore nicodemus was israel's brightest star i mean who was nicodemus he he owned perhaps the most impressive resume in all of israel he he had the ethnic pedigree he was a jew he was an israelite he was highly educated. I mean, he was a fam- Pharisee. He perhaps memorized much of the Old Testament. I mean, this man was educated. He was highly intelligent, highly respected. He was prominent, powerful. He had religious and political clout. Nicodemus was the man. I mean, th- this is the guy. This is the guy, and he pays Jesus a visit. Verse 2 said he comes to Jesus at night. Why? I just think he had a lot to lose. The Pharisees were at odds with Jesus, and if if they saw him hanging out with Jesus, they'd be like, what are you doing with him? I think he had a lot to lose. He wanted to make sure he preserved his life, yet he had something burning in his heart. He says to Jesus, Rabbi, we know you're from God because no one could do these signs or these miracles unless they're from God. We know you're from God. Jesus cuts to the pleasantries and verse 3 says truly truly I say to you unless one is born again he cannot see the kingdom of God why does Jesus just all of a sudden interrupt those pleasantries and he just goes right to it unless you're born again Nicodemus you cannot see the kingdom of God verse 5 says you cannot enter the kingdom of God you need to be born again Well, why did Jesus go there? well Keep in mind, Nicodemus is at the top of religious authority. I mean, he's the answer man. Meaning, if people had questions, they came to him. He needed to go higher. He couldn't ask one of his cohorts, or one of his uh, colleagues in the Sanhedrin. He needed to go even higher. Okay, I, I know what you guys think. I need to see if Jesus Christ has anything new to add. So why does Jesus say, you must be born again? Well, John chapter 2, 24, 25 says he knew all men. He knew exactly what Nicodemus was thinking. He could read his mind, right? This is God. Jesus Christ is God himself. And he knew Nicodemus had one thing and one thing only on his mind. He wasn't here to talk about the weather, he wasn't here to talk about politics, he wasn't here to talk about anything else. Because Nicodemus had an interesting dilemma on paper on paper he may have been the most credible or the best candidate for heaven, I mean he had it all but deep inside he was just like the religious uh, young ruler what must I do to be saved I believe the Lord Jesus Christ wanted to address that central issue in Nicodemus' heart what must I do to be saved Nicodemus must be born again you must be born again what does that mean born again born again could also be translated born from above born from above and being born right here in these first eight verses not even 12 the first eight verses are mentioned eight times born 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 i mean this is the theme of the first eight verses you have to be born again Theologians use a word called regeneration. Born again, regeneration, same thing. The new birth, regeneration, same thing. What is regeneration or what is the new birth? That it is basically when God transforms man into a new creation. When God takes you from spiritual death to spiritual life. I mean, this is the miracle of all miracles. This is beyond raising Lazarus from the dead. This is a spiritual renewal. This is beyond anything else. I mean, b- biblical metaphors given about regeneration are su- things such as being given spiritual sight. All right? Blind people could see, have spiritual vision now. Spiritual cleansing, we were spiritually filthy, and now we're spiritually clean. Spiritual circumcision for Israel. This is a mark of being part of God's people. Spiritual heart transplant. Sister Grace read this out of Ezekiel 36. Stony heart, dead heart, heart of flesh, a living heart now. Spiritual life. So these are some metaphors that the Bible talks about in terms of the regeneration. And how does this hit Nicodemus? How would you think this hits a man like Nicodemus? I mean, he's worked his whole life to build up his resume and his credentials to be able to go to heaven. I mean, he was serious, he really wanted to know. He was a man who wanted to please God. I think this threw Nicodemus off ba- completely off balance. I mean, he probably wanted to hear, you know what, Nicodemus, you're on the right track, but maybe you could do this a little bit better. Maybe you could give a little bit more. Maybe you could be a little bit more generous to the temple. Maybe he was thinking, you know, you're on the right track. You Just keep doing what you're doing. You'll be fine. Perhaps that's what Nicodemus wanted to hear. But right here, the Lord just shatters any hope of his own performance, his own efforts. He goes, Nicodemus, you've got to be born from above. You cannot earn your salvation, Nicodemus. I don't care if you're a Pharisee or a ruler of the Jews. These these things mean nothing to God. Your works are like filthy rags before God. You need to be born again. Unless you're born again, you will not see nor enter the kingdom of God. It's not going to happen. You must experience the new birth. Heaven has to come down upon you. And as much as you try, Nicodemus, as you try to build a bridge, try to build a ladder, try to build a tower up to God, you're never going to make it. Heaven has to come down upon you. This is what he's telling them. John Piper, a preacher, theologian, says that regeneration, the doctrine of regeneration, is one of the most unsettling doctrines for people to hear. Why is that? For someone like Nicodemus or even someone like us today, basically what the Lord does is basically take away any control or all control away from man. Right? I mean, he just says, you have nothing to do with your salvation, Nicodemus. You can't do nothing. So perhaps you come from a, a, a background where you think by keeping some rules that, that's going to actually merit more favor before God. As much as I love and we exhort church attendance, according to Hebrews ten we're called to gather, that's not going to marry you salvation. As much as I love studying the Bible and learning more things about the Bible, that's not going to marry you any salvation. You can't try harder. You can't cut out the internet from your house. You can't do anything to be born again. There's only two types of religions in the world, church. Just two. You can put them in two buckets: one religion and two second religions. this. the first religion is this God's religion, where God does the achieving he, the divine religion of divine achievement. Where God's religion says this: it's about what God has done, it's about what God is doing, it's about the religion of grace. For we are saved by grace as a gift, not of our own works, Nicodemus that's one religion where we're saved. If you're a guest and you're exploring Christianity, we're so happy that you're here. But I want you to hear this very clearly. Christianity is not about anything that you do, it's about 100% what God has done for sinners, to save sinners. 100%. The other religion is the religion of human achievement, human religion. Divine religion, God's religion, and human religion. Human religion says you build the Tower of Babel and get up to heaven. You do your thing. You give enough. You keep the rules good enough, and you might get into heaven. You be moral, meaning be a nice and honest person, and then you'll get to heaven. Meaning serve others and do good things to get to heaven. It's a very transactional relationship in in the sense like, I do this for you, God, you do this for me, God. That's how it works. It's like a regular business deal, right? That's the religion of human achievement. I mean, think about every single religion in the world. It's all about doing and keeping certain rules and certain standards. Are you a Nicodemus as you're sitting here today? Are you a Nicodemus where... You think being moral, I don't watch this, I don't listen to this, I don't drink that anymore, therefore God must be happy with me. Are you a Nicodemus where you like to keep rules, you're a rule keeper, and as long as I keep the rules, I'm fine. Are you a Nicodemus where you love to serve and praise God for servants, amen, but you're not serving out of your identity in Christ, but you're serving for your place with Christ right that, that, that's that's serving to earn something earn some kind of merit with God in your harder hearts you think to yourself God you owe me that's the heart of Nicodemus right now in John chapter 3 so right now I hope it's crystal clear that one must be born from above to receive heaven I hope this is plainly clear church where, where the new birth absolutely crushes human religion. It has nothing to do with what we do. It's all about God. Let's go to the second point here. What else is the new birth about? The new birth comes from God alone. We already touched on this some, but it's going to be clearer. Verse 4, Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? How is that even possible? How can this be? I can't be born again. I'm a grown man. Of course Nicodemus it's it's impossible. And this is where Jesus takes Nicodemus by the hand and sits him down and says, "Let's have a talk. Let's have a talk about the facts of life." Here this is where Jesus is going to speak to Nicodemus and he starts with um, let's start off with the bad news here. Let's read verse 6. "That which which has been born of the flesh is flesh." The bad news says this, "Sinful flesh." only produces sinful flesh. Meaning, there's nothing that a sinful person can do to change himself. I mean, the flesh is, as Jeremiah 17.9, and I have these references in your app, so if if you want to take all these notes, the the references there you can look at later, but Jeremiah 17.9 says this, The heart is more deceitful than all else and is desperately sick. That's the condition of unsaved people. Genesis 6, 5, says this, Then Yahweh saw that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Our hearts are not only sick, not, not only are our hearts deceitful, they're bent towards evil constantly. That's what Genesis 6, 5 says. Ephesians 2, 1 says this, That we were spiritually dead in our trespasses and sins. You hear this, church? I mean, this is the condition of man we're dead spiritually dead I mean biologically we understand how science works life needs to beget life dead things don't produce life we, anybody who's taken biology would understand that we understand this and so Nicodemus understood this like well what are you telling me Lord you're right it's impossible Nicodemus perhaps the Lord would have said to him there's nothing you can do you're right you can't go back into your mother's womb. You can't do this. Heaven needs to get involved. You need to be born from above. So verse 5, Jesus explains the spiritual birds and the bees here. Verse 5 here, follow along with you. Verse 5, Jesus answered, truly, truly. right? Anytime it says truly, truly, like we saw earlier, you got to pay attention. Verily, verily, truly, truly. I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. What is he saying? What is this water and the Spirit? I know it's raining on us right now, so you're me thinking of water as in water here, but <laughs> what, what comes to mind when you hear Jesus say, unless you're born of water and the Spirit, what comes to mind when it com- comes to water? I, t- I spent some time studying this. I needed to make sure I get this right here, okay? This is critical. Perhaps baptism came into your mind, right? Last week we saw three people get baptized, including Grace. It was phenomenal, it was super encouraging. But it's not talking about water baptism. It's not talking about water baptism. Why? Here some here's some reasons. As Christians who believe the gospel that we're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, we reject baptismal regeneration, meaning Baptism is a requirement to be saved, to be born again. We don't believe that. Secondly, if baptism, water baptism is so critical, chapter 3 would mention baptism. And chapter 3 is all about how one is saved. It doesn't mention baptism. And up to this point, there was no believer's baptism. Remember, we're in the church age. Looking back, we understand of, of water baptism or believer's baptism. This didn't exist at the time. John the Baptist's baptism was a baptism of repentance. It was a different type of baptism. It was basically to acknowledge, yes, I'm a sinner. I need God's forgiveness. But that wasn't talking about believer's baptism. And then really, verse 10 says this. uh, Jesus answered, said to him, are you the teacher of Israel and do not understand these things? I mean, Nicodemus gets admonished for not understanding these things. The Lord would not admonish him for not understanding believers' baptism because it didn't exist. It didn't exist at the time. He hasn't instituted uh, it to his people yet. Therefore, it would have been something that Nicodemus understood already. And keep in mind, Nicodemus being a Pharisee, what would he have understood like the back of his hand? What would he have understood like the back of his hand, church? He would have understood the Old Testament. I mean, he, like I said earlier, he, he perhaps even memorized much of the Old Testament. And 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 I, we do some cross-referencing. Turn to Ezekiel 36. This is exactly what Sister Grace read in our scripture reading. Jesus, our Lord, is saying you should re- remember Ezekiel 36, how one is born again, Nicodemus. How can you not know this? Ezekiel 36. Although this is, this is talking specifically for Israel, as Pastor Terry shared, This gives us a picture of how God regenerates his people. Ezekiel 36, 24 says this And I will take you from the nations, gather you from all the lands, and bring you into your own land. Verse 25 Then I will sprinkle clean water on you. There it is. Water. Water in the Old Testament symbolized spiritual cleansing, it was a symbol. So water is talking about the symbol of being cleansed spiritually. I will sprinkle clean water on you. You will be clean. I will cleanse you. There it is, cleansing from all your uncleanness and from all your idols. So what is water talking about? Clearly we see this at Ezekiel 36, 25. You need to be cleansed. And how are you cleansed here? Let's keep reading. Verse 26. Moreover, I will give you a new heart. The dead, Your heart is dead. And put a new spirit within you. I will remove the heart of stone, the stony heart, the dead heart, the diseased heart that Jeremiah 17.9 talks about. That Genesis 6.5 talks about. The heart that's bent on only doing evil from your flesh. And give you a heart of flesh. A living heart. An unhealthy heart. Verse 27. I will put my spirit water and the spirit there it is I will put my holy spirit capital S within you and cause you to walk in my statutes I will make you be obedient to me because I have, you have my spirit in you and you will be careful to do all my judgments I mean just in this portion here of Ezekiel 36 to 27 God tells us I will I will, I will remove that heart of stone. I will put a heart of flesh in you. I will put my spirit within you. I will cause you to walk in my ways. Five times Yahweh, our God says, I will, I will, I will. He doesn't say you will do this or we will do this. I will do this. What are we learning here, Church. The first, This point was about that the new birth comes from God alone. God does everything. Theologians call this monergistic re- regeneration, mono, one-sided. God alone does the work. And you may be asking, like Nicodemus, how can this be? I mean, does, don't I participate in some way? Yes, but not now. Let me give an illustration, borrowing from piggyback on Jesus' illustration here. Why do you think Jesus uses the metaphor for physical birth? Like, why do why does he say to Nicodemus, "You must be born again"? Well, he's a genius. Jesus Christ is the greatest preacher, teacher of all time. But any of us could relate to this in this sense—a very simple, physical, ordinary illustration. Not one of us decided to be born. Right? Not one of us asked our parents to be born. Not one of us contributed to being born. We were just born. We can't we don't even remember that moment. Maybe we remember at age two or something, our first memory or three, but we don't even remember that moment. We were just born. So it is with the new birth. Nothing that we do, nothing that we ask contributes to this. Jesus uses an absolutely ordinary metaphor to explain the new birth. In verse 7, he says to the, to Nicodemus, don't even be, do not marvel at this. Don't be amazed at what I'm saying. Makes sense, doesn't it, Nicodemus? And then verse 8, the Lord gives us another metaphor. I mean, it's clear here how the Lord makes it very clear that the new birth comes from God alone. He says, The wind blows where it wishes. The wind, this word pneuma, also could be uh, translated to spirit. The wind or the spirit blows. Interesting, right? There's a metaphor, play of words there. The, The spirit or the wind blows where it wishes, where it wishes, not where you wish it to be. Where it, God, wishes to blow it. And you hear it sound, I mean, we can hear the sound over us right now, but do not know where it comes from and where it is going. No one could have predicted our hurricane or whatever this is uh, coming to us. Right? This has happened. So is everyone who has been born of the Spirit. The Spirit goes where it wants. It's interesting. Um, this past Friday had a, just a, such a memorable time. We had our 25th anniversary Right, it was a wonderful time. You know, 25th anniversary. I can't believe we were seniors in college 25 years ago, but we were. But we were, and it was wonderful to reconnect with old teammates, old friends, and over the years, as as Brother uh, Craig shared, uh, relationships are what seem to be more meaningful than anything else. Winning and losing, of course, that matters, but it's the relationships, it's the lives, it's the, it's the people that you care about. But as I went back, I my mind kind of got. got sucked back into my coaching mind. And I remember at the University of Southern California, it was like a sleeping giant. I mean, we, of course, we would want to win every single game, but it hasn't been like that throughout our history. And so people would always rack their brains. What was it like in the 70s when this coach was here? And when up in the 80s and so forth and so on, we would try to talk about certain things. This is the type of jersey that they wore. This is the type of music that they listened to. This is a the song. These are the traditions that they had. And these things are important. Because they really, what, and as they're trying to talk about this, what they're doing is trying to recreate the magic. Like, how do we resurrect this uh, this sleeping giant? I mean, that's kind of like it in sports, particularly if you have a strong tradition. But similar to Christianity. Where we've experienced in the history of the church in Acts through Pentecost, to things such as the Great Awakening, where George Whitfield, Jonathan Edwards are preaching, thousands are coming to Christ. Great revivals have happened. And if you're like me, you desire to see great revivals to happen. You want to see this place packed out with genuine believers. You want to see the culture be, being dominated by the person of Jesus Christ. You want this. I know you do, as a Christian. I want this. But there's things such that were called. That's called revivalism. Not revival, but revivalism. What is revivalism? Let me describe what revival is first. Revival is the work of the Spirit that produces. Extraordinary results through ordinary means, meaning the Spirit manifests in a unique way, and many come to Christ. Many are repenting of their sins and trusting Christ as the Lord and Savior through ordinary means. What does that mean? Through preaching the Word, through preaching the gospel, just ordinary things, what we're doing right now. What is revivalism? revivalism is man's attempt to basically put wind in the bottle to capture lightning in a bottle and trying to reproduce the work of the Spirit through extraordinary means, meaning study what they did, what they ate, what they sang, what what the lighting was like. Let's reproduce that, and then the Spirit will reproduce its work by reproducing those methods. So it's about methods more than trusting in the Spirit. That's revivalism. And as I study deeper into this is because I desire revival as you do too. Will I fall into the trappings of human methods, techniques, formulas where it's a certain type of music, a certain type of lighting to create a certain right type of atmosphere or mood? Is it Certain methods like altar calls or raising hands. Is it certain, maybe teaching people a special prayer. You pray this, you will be saved. None of that matters. The spirit has to rain down from heaven and fall upon dead people to resurrect them from the grave. This is what we're talking about here. And Nicodemus is still confused. Verse nine goes, how can this be? I'm hearing you, but I ain't feeling you. I don't get it. What are you talking about, uh, Jesus? Nicodemus was saying in verse 9. Well, the third point clarifies Nicodemus' issue here. What is the new birth about? The third and final point, the new birth creates saving faith. This is where people exercise our wills now. The new birth creates saving faith. How is one justified before God? What do I mean by that? How is one declared innocent before God? How is one declared cleansed by God? How does one uh, declare by God, you ha- I see you just if you have never sinned, Justify, I have never sinned? When does that happen? Romans 5, 1 says this, we are justified, justified by faith, by faith, by faith. Keep in mind, church, during this whole first eight verses, there's nothing about believing. And this whole chapter is about salvation. Nothing about believing. Now verse 9, Nicodemus says, how can these things be? Jesus is about to answer. Finally, the Lord brings up believing. Verse 10, you're the teacher of Israel. How can you not know this? How can you you be so blind to this simple fact of believing? Believing. Verse 11, truly, truly, there it is again, verily, verily, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness of what we have seen. I've been in heaven, I'm from heaven, Jesus is saying, and I know this. I've heard this from the Father, and I'm telling you, Nicodemus, this is what has to happen. And what's Nicodemus' response? Verse 11, and you do not accept our witness. Nicodemus, you reject what I'm telling you. Verse 12, Jesus goes from the lesser to the greater. He makes an argument. If you can't understand this lower level thing, how can you understand more heavenly things? If I told you earthly things and you do not believe, there it is, believe, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? (sighs) Nicodemus' condition is what hinders him from believing. Nicodemus, even if he wanted to, could not believe in John chapter 3, what Jesus is saying. He did not have the ability. It's like saying, jump through the roof, and you only jump six inches. He didn't have the ability. He didn't have it within him. In Nicodemus' current condition, he could not accept or believe. And you can see here, church, right, where where intelligence, education, ability has nothing to do with belief because Nicodemus had it all. He had nothing to do with this belief here. Let's hear from God. Why? Deuteronomy 29, 4 says this. When Moses speaks to the stubborn, stiff-necked Israelites, yet to this day, Yahweh has not. This is God. This Yahweh is the one and true living God, the God of the Bible, if you're a guest. Yahweh has not given you a heart to know. Did you see? Did you hear what Moses said to the Israelites? Yahweh, God has not given you a heart to know, nor eyes to see. God hasn't given you eyes to see, nor ears to hear. Let me just ask you, let's take a break right here, okay? Church, can a blind man see anything on a physical level? Answer is no. There's no light coming through to the mind. Can a deaf man hear anything? No, he couldn't hear that baby right there, right? He won't be able to hear the rain falling on top of us. These are just ordinary Things that the Lord teaches us. Can a heart of stone, ceramic heart, beat or feel anything? Of course not. It's just just there, right? Ephesians 2 1 says this Nicodemus was spiritually dead in his sin. Let me ask you this question Can a dead man do anything? So it is with believing. Crystal clear, isn't it, church? Therefore, the new birth or regeneration, whichever one you prefer to use. I like to use new birth. It just sounds more normal. The new birth precedes saving faith. It has to come before saving faith. You need to be regenerated in order to have saving faith. It's like a cause and effect relationship. This happens, you regenerate it, then you believe. If the root is regeneration or, or, or rebirth or new, uh, new birth. And the fruit is saving faith. To stay in this uh, birthing metaphor, uh, in other words, God impregnates our hearts to birth saving faith in us. That's kind of what happens. In a nutshell, if we're talking about the birds and the bees right now. This is what happens to Christians. God impregnates us, our hearts, to, and we're regenerated, and it births saving faith. Boom! I see now. I was blind, but now I see. How does this work? John Piper has another illustration might be helpful. It is like striking a match. Anyone who strikes a match there's fire and immediately when fire is struck from the match there's light and heat. Not one of us would say light and heat comes from the gives the fire but the fire provides the light and the heat cause and effect. So it is when God lights the fire in our hearts that we see the light of the revelation of Christ. We see Christ all of a sudden. We understand him. He is worth more than anything. He's worth more than my football, worth more than my money, worth more than my career, worth more than my uh, relationships. He's worth more than life itself. I see now. When God lights the fire of Christ in our hearts, we feel the warmth of Christ now. We love him now. As Pastor Victor preached on the new creation, you have new affections. We'll cover more of that next week. This is like regeneration in us. See, re- regeneration and saving faith are two sides of the same coin. Regeneration must come first, though. He said, That's a great illustration, Pastor, And but give me a chapter and verse. Okay, se- Turn to 2 Corinthians here. I don't expect you to believe anything I say apart from you looking at it by putting your finger on the Bible. Give me chapter and verse, 2 Corinthians 4, verse 3. Follow along, because this is going to really convince you. It's not me. It's not anything else. It's God speaking to us right now. God is sitting us down and giving us the spiritual birds and the bees, so to speak, right? 2 Corinthians 4, uh, Paul writes verse 3 and even if our gospels veiled even if people can't understand our the gospel the good news of jesus christ that christ died to save sinners and that christ is alive that christ uh, uh, is our lord that one can escape hell and judgment by trusting christ as our lord and savior the good news the gospel it is veiled to those who are perishing it's What happened in that case, Paul? Verse 4, in whose case the God of this age, Satan, the God of this age, has blinded the minds of the unbelieving. You see that? Another metaphor of blindness. Who has blinded the minds of the unbelieving. And what's the result? So they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Spiritually dead people are blind, church. Verse 5, for we do not preach ourselves but Jesus Christ as Lord and ourselves as your, your slaves for the sake of Jesus. Verse 6, here's God striking that match in the heart of believers. For God who said, light shall shine out of darkness. That match is struck. It is the one who has shown in our hearts, boom, to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. That has to happen. That has to happen. Second Corinthians four three through six. The new birth has to happen. God has to say, let there be light in your hearts for you to be able to see Christ. I have a strong application for this, guys. Coming up in a second. I mean I was so moved by uh, Grace Sherado's testimony last week. I remember standing here and just listening to her testimony. She was baptized earlier as a 17-year-old, and years later she realized, I wasn't a Christian back then. I want to obey Christ. I want to be baptized as a believer. That's why she was baptized for the first time as a believer. That's why she was baptized again. Before she just got wet as a 17-year-old. Now, this time, uh, last week, she was baptized as a believer. And in her testimony, she quoted... The hymn, Amazing Grace. Amazing Grace. Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. She said, I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. Amazing Grace. And I hope this encourages you that the regeneration, the work of regeneration has to proceed saving faith. Because we love evangelism. We need to love evangelism as Christians. And my heart grows out to parents. Uh, this past week, someone just shared, what happened to the 20, 25, uh, uh, young 30s of our church that aren't even around anymore? He said, I could think of some. He didn't name any names, but I could think of some who, who don't even care about the church anymore. As a pastor, when I hear things like that, certainly I think of my own kids. I think of, we'll see, time will tell if, the, if regeneration has happened. But I think to my brother and sister who may be thinking that right now as you're sitting there, I want to encourage you as, as your pastor, if you're thinking, I must have done something wrong, I haven't, I haven't done something perfectly. He goes, maybe I didn't follow the formula well enough. Maybe I, I should have sent them to that private school. Maybe I should have homeschooled them. Maybe I should have sent them to, sent them to a different youth group. I mean, all those things could be flooding your mind. And I get it, no parent is perfect. Amen. We, me included. But Romans Romans 10.17 says, Faith comes from hearing, hearing the word of Christ. Did you faithfully share the gospel? Did you faithfully share the gospel that Christ died for your sins and rose again? And if you believe, repent, turn from your sins and follow him as your Lord and Savior, you will be saved. And I know many of you have. I know. Looking out right now, I know many of you have. So this is why I'm trying to encourage you. If you haven't, then preach the gospel to them first. See what happens, okay? Ordinary means. Ordinary means. Pray for extraordinary work by the Spirit, but your ordinary means, give them the gospel, the good news that Christ died for sinners and rose again and to give your life to him as your Lord and Savior. But if you have given your, the gospel, I know many of you have, simply pray that the Spirit will blow on them. Understand man's part. Understand God's part. Paul planet, Apollo's water. God causes the growth, the Bible says. I hope this encourages you. I mean, this is really, The sermon was really building up to that. If this is that one person I'm talking to, know that I've been thinking and praying about this for you. Maybe there's more. Jesus is the evangelist and right now he he is rejected. Nicodemus goes, "What are you talking about?" He leaves. Is that the end of Nicodemus? But turn with me to John 19. John 19. We're almost done. John 19. Jesus is killed. Jesus is lifted up, as he said, the Son of Man must be lifted up, just like Moses lifted up the serpent. Jesus is lifted up on the cross, and he's dead now. He died for sinners like you and me. Verse 38, John 19, 30, Now after these things, Joseph of Arimathea, being a disciple of Jesus, but secretly because of the fear of the Jews, he was scared for his life, You understand why Nicodemus went to him at night and asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus and Pilate granted permission so that he came and took away his body. Verse 39, and Nicodemus, which Nicodemus is this? Well, John makes it perfectly clear, plainly clear. Who had first come to him by night? This is the same Nicodemus. Also came, bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, weighing about 100 litras, which is 75 pounds roughly. So they took the body of Jesus bound it in linen wrappings, honored the Lord in his death with the spices as is the burial custom of the Jews. What happened to Nicodemus? The wind blew his way. The spirit blew on him and he became a believer. Keep in mind, John chapter three is a very personal, private meeting, encounter with Nicodemus and and Jesus. This is not like what I'm doing here. This is a private I think a one-on-one conversation. I think. I don't think the disciples are back. I think it's one-on-one. And what Jesus did was first get him lost. He basically said, you're a dead man, Nicodemus. All those things don't matter. He got him lost. He knew he needed salvation. And then Jesus found him and gives him the most famous verse following that. The most famous verse that's out every football game and every whatever game and, and, and people's eye blocks and they, they, everyone knows John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only begotten son. And whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. See he explained to Nicodemus love motivated God to send his son to die for his sins, but also love motivated, sending the Spirit to Nicodemus to save him. God had a rescue plan to specifically come for Nicodemus that night. Although Nicodemus came to him, he summoned Nicodemus to see him that night. Because we know this, Ephesians 1, 4, 5 says, he was chosen before the foundations of the earth. He was predestined to be adopted as a son in love. That's what the Bible says. In other words, love motivated Christ coming. Love motivates the spirit of God coming. Nicodemus has been known and loved from eternity past. Church, if you're in Christ, you've been known and loved from eternity past. (laughs) Don't we have a great God? Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for the doctrine of regeneration. Thank you how you explain to us where Christians come from. Thank you, Lord, that we have been chosen and predestined from eternity past, Lord. Thank you that you have known us and loved us from eternity past. Father, I pray for revival here in the San Gabriel Valley, Lord. I pray for many to come to faith in your son, Jesus Christ. But I pray revival will take place at a very personal level in our homes, on our teams, in our Thanksgiving dinners with lost relatives, with our co-workers, our neighbors. We will have these conversations on a very personal and loving level. Father, if there's any lost people here, I pray for your spirit to fall upon them and they would be regenerated. They will experience a new birth. And Father, I pray for those of us who are in Christ that we will gain greater confidence in your saving work, that it's all from you, and you will see us through to the very end. Thank you, Father. Thank you for having this talk with Nicodemus and talking to us 2,000 years later. In Jesus' name, amen.